Don Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. And welcome to the Transporter Room. Big news, big news, Carly. We've got two big stories we're covering. One is the end of a saga, and the other one is the, well, the beginning of another saga that's also ending. (laughs) First off, I'm going to see Star Wars Rise of Skywalker tonight. It's Thursday Mm -hmm. when we record this. You're going Saturday. I can't wait. But also the other saga that's going on in Washington, the impeachment crisis. Oh, oh, God. Well, we'll get to talking about the Sith in Washington in a minute. But first, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to Star Wars. I mean, I am really looking forward to seeing. I'm really looking forward to see how this plays out, because I mean, at least checking out Rotten Tomatoes from the from the test audiences. It ran about 58 to 60 percent, which means either you liked it, people liked it or they hated it. Me, I know I'm going to at least like it, but um, but I'm I'll let, I'm a little bit nervous about walking in to the picture show to see this thing this weekend. I think that by avoiding all the spoilers that I have been able to um, just, you know, dodge everything. I, I did see that there were mixed reviews, so I do know that. Not everybody's liking it, but I'm a fangirl. I'm going to love this movie no matter what, but I'm going in completely cold. I don't know anything except what I've seen in the trailers, and I'm really excited about it. And I got to be honest, I'm sort of sad it's the end, but it's not so sad that it's ending as much as I think that it'll just, you know, be reimagined. There'll be other Star Wars movies, just not with this particular set of stories. I agree. I think there's, I think what's going to happen here is going to be a reimagining of some type. There's going to be a lot of reimagining and there's still plenty of grist for the mill. I mean, look at the Mandalorian, which is pretty good. I will. I mean, I give, I, I'll give that my seal of approval. I've seen a few episodes. It's really good. Um, I think that there's a lot more prequel, like flashback grist for the mill. The, the films aren't done. This franchise is not just like ending here. It's going to change form it's going to change form. It's going to change hands. New people are going to come into it. And I'm I'm waiting to see how, I wonder what directions it'll take next. But this part of the story comes to a close after over 40 years and nine yeah, movies and a hundred. Yeah. And a Can lot of books. I, I can't, I can't imagine it was 42 years ago. Cause I mean, I'm only 29. So, um, <laughs> Oh, you know, there's other big news. I don't know if you saw, but I wrote a story this week about trans athlete Chris Mosier. He's yes, competing in the Olympic trials. You know, going for the 50-kilometer walk at the Olympic trials. Yeah, the race Coming up walk. in 2020. That's his 2020 event. Now, he hasn't yet made it to the Olympics. And so far in 15 years since the Olympics started allowing trans athletes, there hasn't been one transgender athlete to qualify. Carly, we have Chris Mosier's coordinates. Let's... Beam him up from Chicago, Illinois. Chris Mosier, welcome to the Transporter Room. All right. Thank you for having me. Tom, I'm going to get the Wayne's World out of my system right now. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to get that. I have waited for this moment for a long time. Well, Chris, I'm just going to start right up front. What What made you decide I'm going to take a shot at Tokyo and I'm going to do it in the 50 kilometer walk? (laughs) That is a valid question. Um, As you might know, I have a history as a triathlete and a duathlete. Uh, Triathlon is swim, bike, run, and duathlon is run, bike, run. 
And I actually am a much better do athlete uh, than triathlete because swimming is not my strong suit. Uh, what basically happened was I qualified for Team USA in duathlon earlier this year. So I'm on the team for 2020. Duathlon is not an Olympic sport. So I'll be going to the world championships, but that's sort of the highest I can go in duathlon. Uh, meanwhile, I train with somebody in Chicago who is the number five race walker in the country. And he asked me, you know, have you ever thought about race walking? And I looked at him and I was like, mm, no, <laughs> I never have actually. Uh, he's like, I think he would be really good at it. And that was uh, all it kind of took was uh, his hope and, and faith in me and his belief that I could do it. He gave me some lessons. I started to, I started to practice in uh, May of this year. So I've really only been doing race walking since June. Uh, I had a little bit of a knee injury at the top. And, um, you know, after my first race, I thought maybe this is actually something that I could do uh, that seriously. And so, yeah, it just worked out really well for me. And here I am about to go to the Olympic trials. Chris, have you had any pushback from anyone being the first trans man to compete as men, as a man? Because I know that in the world right now, even J.K. Rowling seems to be weighing in on oh. the trans issue. And I was just curious as to, have you encountered that personally yourself? You know what? I have been the recipient of male privilege and something that I talk about all the time, that in transitioning, like I knew everything that was going to happen when I started to take testosterone in terms of body changes and voice changes and all of these things that I could expect, but no one prepared me for the social changes of inheriting male privilege. And, you know, it's been, it's been a big part of my story in saying that the reason I was able to challenge the International Olympic Committee in 2015 and get that policy changed, I think, is because I'm a trans man and they didn't see me as a threat. So my pushback has been very, very little. I've had a few comments and I mean, you can even see on Outsports posts that there are people who roll their eyes and people who think that I'm transitioning to female and then give me a hard time. But, uh, you know, what I, what I have faced from my competitors and from anybody else has been only a fraction of what any trans woman faces if she just even wants to compete. So it, it, it hasn't been uh, nearly as much a pushback as any transgender woman faces in sport. You know, why don't you repeat that one more time for the people in the back? I mean, yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, being, I mean, being a being a fellow duathlete, triathlete myself. I mean, it's great to hear. I mean, it is always good to hear your voice on. They hear you. They hear you speaking out. And for, I mean, for you, in a sense. I mean, what has it meant for you to be, in a sense, what has it meant for you to be that person who is who who speak who has spoken out, who when like Sports Center needs to know something about this, they're calling you. What's that been like for you to be a spokesperson, even if you were at at first perhaps a reluctant one? What's this been like for you from that end? Yeah, you know, it's been great, and I think that there's a lot of power in using my voice and also knowing that I can use my voice to speak up for people whose voices aren't heard and to elevate the voices of people who aren't given the airtime that me as a, um, you know, as a white trans man has, has received. And so that's been really great. I think it's also a lot of pressure, to be honest. You know, I wanna make sure that I'm doing a service not just to the trans, the white trans man community, right? White trans male community, but also to 
people of color and to trans women and to uh, people whose voices aren't heard in our community to non-binary people and athletes. And I think that that, you know, I, I, I want to get it right. And I know that I don't always, um, you know, maybe I stumble here and there, but for me, it's really important to make sure that I, I am just, people know I am a case study of one and that I can tell you about my experience, but I cannot speak on behalf of everyone in our community and I'll do my best to try to make sure that all voices are at the table and that we're considering, you know, all different identities when we're talking about athletics, because it's not just about um, the pushback that trans women receive in sport. And it's not just about me flying under the radar as a trans man and people believing that I, I'll never be able to do any of my accomplishments again, or, you know, saying that it's not a big deal. I want to make sure that every person can see themselves in sport. And, you know, I think that, that it's been a big part of my advocacy, my, my desire to blaze a trail for other people is making sure that everybody, regardless of their identity, regardless of their gender presentation, their pronouns, you know, that they, that they feel like sport is a place for them because it's been so beneficial to me and to so many people. And I really want everyone to have that experience. And we've all really enjoyed seeing you in your Nike campaigns. Tell us what that's like, because it must be a really thrilling and also scary uh, part of your life in terms of, you know, you're not an actor, but you have this <laughs> natural ability to convey emotion through your athleticism. And I just find it so inspiring, uh, not just for the, the groundbreaking part of you appearing without a top, <laughs> without a shirt on, that's, that's interesting, but it must also just be a little intimidating to be in front of a camera like that, especially more than once. Yeah, I think as it happens more and more, I get more comfortable with it. And, you know, I think um, I, the, the, the impact of it is not lost on me. You know, um, I'm one of the best piece of, pieces of advice that I received when my first Nike commercial came out was from Laverne Cox. And I was asking her for some tips on like what happens when you kind of fall into the spotlight. Um, what she told me was to never forget your community and, you know, to, to really focus on the, the people around you and, and what your success can do to, to lift others up. And I just thought that that was really so impactful for me and thinking about, you know, it's not just about me being in a Nike ad, like, yes, that's a huge personal success and, and I'm super thrilled about it. And I'm also, you know, have like these pinch me moments when I see a billboard or a commercial or a fa my face in a store. But it's also about like, what does that mean for the young trans kid in the middle of nowhere who sees me in an ad or sees my video online? Um, you know, those are the moments that are really super impactful for me. And, and you know, as uncomfortable as I was for so many years, being in the spotlight or having people pay attention to me because in my early part of transition, like I didn't want to be in photos. I didn't want to be in videos. I didn't want to be the center of attention. Um, I still sort of feel that, but um, at least the center of attention part, but uh, you know, now I'm more and more comfortable saying like, if, if my image out there can help somebody else on their journey, then I'm all for it. I think it's such a powerful tool uh, for advocacy. When was the moment when you realized in competition or in or or as a spokesperson that you really looked and said, I can do this. Going back to you know, what was, you were just talking about. Yeah, there was a race uh, my 
the first duathlon that I won overall, um, I was at the starting line and I had this moment of, of being like, it, really having to talk to myself because my impulse in group runs in other races was to sort of just line up behind everybody and to run my own race, so to speak. And I had dreamed about this race, you know, for weeks leading up to it. And I thought, I, I really think that I'm in condition and have a chance to win. Like, I mean, I was in great shape. Um, my training had been 100%. And I just thought that I really had a shot at it. And it was walking up to that starting line that day saying, you know, my, my gut says go back, but I know I belong right at the line with the fast guys. And when I, when I won that race and experienced at the end, the second place guy coming up to me and just like being such a, a gracious second place person, you know, to say like, great job, you, you crushed it out there. Um, you know, and, and having it not at all be about my gender identity or being a transgender athlete, but just being respected as a great athlete. That was when I was like, you know, I, I, I think I need to get over my own questions of my own ability and just put my trust in my training and and the outcomes. So, you know, I, I do belong at the front. I do belong with the fast guys. And sometimes I have to remind myself of that because the world tells me that I don't. But I know that I do. My performance results say that I do. And, uh, you know, more and more, I believe that. We tell you that you do. You know, this is called the Transporter Room. So, Chris, we have to ask, are you going to go see Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, or are you not a science fiction fan? Ooh, I am not a science fiction fan, but I am such a fan of the Baby Yoda memes. <laughs> <laughs> I, hear, I heard a rumor that Baby Yoda might make some kind of cameo in this movie. So I'm going to go tonight. Probably <laughs> going to go this weekend when this podcast airs. And I just Amazing. wanted to say thank you because I know you have a, a longer extended interview with Sid Ziegler coming up on Five Rings to Rule Them All, another one of our Outsports podcasts. And I don't want to steal his thunder, but I'm so glad we got to talk again. And I'm so glad to introduce you to Carly. Oh, me too. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so happy this worked out. And thank you for having me on. Keep up the great work. We need your voices out there and we need your voices in sports. So just really appreciate what you both do. Well, the, right. no, thank, thank you because you just you just inspired me to go out and do six miles after this podcast is over. So. Yes, get it. <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna sit for six minutes on my couch, and that'll be probably my <laughs> exercise. We're we're trying to get Dawn to do the couch to five k thing. She's got the couch part. It's the five k part that's gonna be the issue. All right, before I get embarrassed, setting quarters. Hey, happy holidays, Chris. You too. Thanks, Chris. You kill it in Santee. Leave them on down, Carly. (laughs) That was just great. I'm so glad that Chris was able to join us, even just for a brief interview. And I am really excited that I got to introduce you two together because I know you have a lot in common. I know that um, you share a love for running. And isn't he just a great guy? Well, Well, Chris is someone I've admired for some time because at one level, yes, doing the same event doing very similar events, love the Nike ad, but also just for the way that Chris has been speaking out. And that means a lot to have somebody, to have a voice, a strident voice like that, speaking out as much as much and often as he does everywhere, TV, printed, uh, social media. I mean, Chris gets, Chris sticks his face in the fan. He puts his nose in the fight. I respect that. I would say that, um, 
as far as spokespeople go, he's one of my favorites because I think that he's, um, first of all, not, not bad to look at, but also he's just so educated and erudite and, you know, he has an approachable quality. Like he seems like the kind of guy you'd want to share a beer with or maybe a plate of nachos and just, you know, get to know. And my friend and mentor, Jenny Boylan, told me that nobody can hate you if they know your story. That's something her mother told her. And I love that expression because learning Chris's story, sharing it with all of our listeners and our readers at Outsports, I think it'll help people understand what the trans experience really is about, what trans athletes really are about, which is they just want to compete. Exactly. Just want to play ball. That's it. I, I can't I can't explain any more than that. It's just a matter of playing ball, be it be it Chris Moser uh doing the doing on a race walk or doing a multi-event. Is it whether it's Chelsea Wolf on a bike, whether it's Lowell Hubbard or JC Cooper um about to throw about to throw up a lot of weight and a lot of payload. We just wanna get on the field and we just wanna play. That's it. Hey, speaking of Chelsea Wolf, didn't you have some news about Chelsea Wolf? Yes, Chelsea Wolf, BMX free, BMX freestyler. Uh, Sid did a profile on her um, in Outsports ten days ago, and and she and she's looking to take a serious shot at Team USA in that in that discipline. Has competed at the World Cup level. Has competed in the World Cup level. She, I mean. Finished fifth. I mean, finished fifth in the in the BMX Freestyle World Cup rankings this past year. So that puts her. I mean, that puts her right in the that puts her in the wheelhouse for Tokyo in 2020. How great would that be to see Team USA entering that the new Olympic Stadium under construction in Tokyo, Japan, on the day of the opening ceremonies, knowing that two of those athletes wearing those colors are trans athletes from the United States. For me. I would, I mean, I would be even more proud to see that. My feeling really is, is that until an athlete who identifies as transgender makes it past the qualifiers and actually competes in the Olympics, we're not going to see an end to the transgender athlete debate. But once a trans athlete actually competes in the Olympics and either wins or loses, I think that's going to be a defining moment in our movement. It really will. Don't you think? I would, I would say so at one level, at one level, yes, because I would love to, I mean, I would love to see it because at one level, I think it would change a lot of minds, but the debate itself to me will never totally go away. I mean, I think we're, I think we, we have a long way to go before that debate really ends. And, and from what you're still seeing at another level, what the recent laws that you, in fact, the, the what you wrote about earlier this week in Outsports, the recent law that's that's being considered in Washington State, and the other law that and the other law that's being considered in Tennessee, in many ways we're still fight these battles still have to be fought. And even if, for example, Chris goes to the Olympics, does well, or just gets on the grid, or gets on the grid, there's still going to be some le state legislator in Washington, in in say a Washington or a Tennessee or or a New Jersey, or a Connecticut, or a Maine, who will still try and, and pump those same it. old tropes. And let's face it, when it comes to Washington State, this is a life or death issue. A teenager 
17-year-old Nikki Kuhnhausen found dead, killed by a man after he learned she was transgender. See, that's, and that's the other thing, too. I mean, Monica Roberts put it out there, put it out there on Twitter this morning just to remind us in that the trans panic defense is still a is still a usable legal defense, legal defense in a court of law in 44 states. I mean, we still, I mean, there's still, I mean, a lot of this country is still, unfortunately, what I call no trans land. New Jersey just proved the bill banning the gay or trans panic defense. So at least New Jersey is going to join that list. Good. But on the upside, but on the upside to have the possibility of, say, a Chris Mosier being interviewed, being interviewed on the Peacock Network talking about the Olympics and having the chance to have a global platform to talk about this more is a big deal to have a Chelsea Wolf do that, to have a Lauren Hubbard do that for, for peoples in Oceania and around the world, to have a Tiffany Abreu do that in, in a nation that is ran by a person who's openly transphobe would be a big deal. I mean, I, I mean, I would love to see I'd love to see a number of trans athletes making some national teams, even if it's just one or two for Tokyo next year. And to me, results are secondary. They're winning just by making it onto, by towing the starting line. That's a win for me. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we're back, we're going to talk about our hopes and our predictions for Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. So stay tuned. And we're back here at the transporter room. And you know what weekend this is? We talked yeah, about it at the beginning. About it, yeah. <laughs> we've been talking about it because it's not just sports here. It's sports, it's science fiction. And you know what? The last inning of the biggest of one of the biggest games has taken 40 plus years to decide <laughs> the rebellion too. versus the empire. And I always said, take Wait, the rebellion. Are you talking about the watching the DC again? <laughs> no, I'm I'm talking about the I'm talking about the bigger I'm talking about this I'm talking about that that saga that took place long long ago in a galaxy far far away. Well, Washington is far away and it is sometimes as if the Democrats in the Senate are the rebellion and that the Republicans are <laughs> they're the Sith. We know that the there are hey listen there are people including in our audience who are Republican who identify as so let's just give everyone a pass and let's talk only about the movie. My prediction is Ray's relative, relative, her relation is to Emperor Palpatine. I read a blog um, in the Huffington Post from when the when the Last Jedi came out that put this out there that Palpatine was the um, was the the blood connection, and I'm wondering if that's what I'm going to find out when I see the movie. What's your prediction? My prediction is. My prediction is this movie will this movie will win the weekend, but it won't take in as much. It will not be a record weekend. Ooh, wow. That's it's not gonna that, tank like solo though, right? No, it won't tank. I'm not saying it'll tank. Like I said, it will win this weekend, but I think it'll come down, I'd say 25%. It'll come down 25% below, say a record. I don't see a record haul for this. I don't wow. see it. Wow. I hope you're wrong. 
I would like them to make a lot of money. I love the Mandalorian. Um, like we talked about with Chris, I, yes. I've, I've heard rumors that there's some kind of like tie-in between the Mandalorian and uh, the Rise of Skywalker. I wonder what it will be. It'll be interesting. Um, yeah, have you been watching I mean, the Mandalorian? Have you had a chance to watch I've wa- it? I've watched, a, I've watched like three episodes of it. It's good. I really like the. I I like. I hope if that's the future direction of where Star Wars will go as far as as far as the larger media, I'm all for it. And I think that like like you just talked about things like Solo. I mean, I'd like to see more projects like that. I'd like to see more one-off Star Wars projects like that. Yeah, Rogue One was one of my favorite movies. Rogue I think One was excellent. That's that's ones. that's what really disappointed me about Solo. And Solo was good. But I felt there was a lot. I mean, I felt there was a lot missing to Solo. I I really felt there was just something. Uh, I felt there's just a there were just things that are. It just wasn't. It was it was good, but not as good as it could have been. Now Rogue One was beautiful. Rogue One told a told a story that I mean, and I think that's going to be the biggest hook for Star Wars is that you're going to be telling these stories that people people know the basic story but now give me the story give me the story behind the story. I mean overall for me like look at the film this weekend and I'll admit it I am I'm one of those I'm one of those retro loyalists to me the greatest three Star Wars films of the first three were episodes 4, 5 and 6. To me they're the best, they were the best and the and the prequels slash sequels did just did not measure up to those. I, I have I, to be honest though. Return of the Jedi always left me with a bad taste in my mouth. Maybe because I thought it was the last Star Wars movie. Maybe it was because of the Ewoks. I just never really got into Return of the Jedi. Well, I'll tell you, it was to me. It was the it was the back of the three. Uh, my favorite is Empire. I'll, oh, I'll admit it. I go though. Absolutely, I'm with you there. My favorite was Empire because Empire told so much story. I liked it for two reasons. One, because it really, I mean, it really opened the door to so much story, to so much story. It brought in the twist about Darth being Luke's father. It, and it spent the, and, but the beauty is the way it got into it. It spent the whole movie unraveling the threads and it methodically walked you through the threads. And that's why, I, but I also loved about it, but I love what I really loved the most about it is, is that, even as a young kid, and I was like 10, I was like 10 years old when that movie, I was like 10 years old when that movie came out. It taught me that, no, good guys lose. And actually, that was kind of a cool concept of the good guys not not winning this one. Luke frustrated on Dagobah or having to leave training early and walking basically into a trap and losing a hand. Han Solo frozen. I mean, the rebellion is in ends that film. The rebellion starts that film getting its butt beat and having to escape. It ends that film scattered and having to regroup. Which is interesting because that's how The Last Jedi ended too. Yeah, I mean, The Last Jedi though was a little bit different. I didn't like the way they told I didn't I didn't think Luke Skywalker was not going out like that. Well, I know the actor felt Mark Hamill felt that it was not what he would have imagined, and uh, a lot of people have said that you know, is it pronounced Ryan or Ryan Johnson? His take on the whole um, you know saga was different from what the fans expected. It was a challenge to the existing um, you know dogma, 
But you know what? It is what it is. And, and he has the um, right to do it. I mean, exactly. That's what they gave him the job for, right? Yeah. And I, I have, you know, seen some scuttlebutt that maybe J.J. Adams is giving, um, you know, some fan uh, service in this new movie that he's he's bringing the movie back to its core roots. We'll see. I'm I'm really excited about seeing it. I'm also excited about Picard, um, which is starting next month. Um, I'm hopeful that Discovery will really uh, kick some butt when it comes back on CBS All Access next oh, year. I can't wait for. Picard, that looks good. That that concept looks good. If and I'm it, glad it's giving some time between Star Wars and Star Trek. I don't want to have all this stuff at once. <laughs> don't make me choose. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm like, and also the other thing I'm grooving on, which ends next month, is the is the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover on yes, the CW. I, was I, I I was watching that. I find it a little um, how can I put it? It's a little juvenile, but you know, um. There are there are really good aspects of the story. I, I can't say any of it surprised me. Every single plot development seems to be telegraphed well in advance. Well, um, it's it's DC. I mean, let, yeah. to be fair, it, that's it's not a that's Marvel just, story. You're that's right. just that's just the way DC rolls. Now, I'm a DC person. I'll admit to it. My my favorite hero is a DC hero. Right here, and I'm, you and I are the same in that regard. Who's yours? I, Mine's Batman. Green Lantern. Oh wow, that movie was so awful. Oh, but but they're but oh, they are Ryan working Reynolds. on it. They're working on a new one. Oh, that's good. They they are working I mean, on a new one. Complicated. It was too convoluted. All these other universes and galaxies and everything. No, well, honestly, the person who made that movie, the director of that movie, never read never read Green Lantern. Obviously, and that's what. And to me, that's one thing about. Building sci-fi, building a film that's based on a franchise that people know. And to me, you cannot, you have to immerse yourself in that world. You cannot re you cannot reimagine this stuff. And like, and I think to me, that's where Rian Johnson missed on Last Jedi. Because he's like, well, I want to re no. There's something, I mean, reimagine what you can, but realize that a lot of people have some memories about this. I have a Gil Kane autographed comic in my safe, plus a Green Lantern ring. That's how much of a fan I am. <sighs> I, but I, Batman's you, still my favorite. Well, yeah, I, and I can't wait. For, and there's been actually there's been some interesting news in the DC camp the, of their yeah, of what uh, their next of what their next one of their next film projects that's on the docket is Superman Red Sun. I would love to see them do that. It's one of my favorite graphic novels. I would love to see him do it. What do you think about it? Robert Pattinson? What do you think about Robert Pattinson playing the Batman? Supposed to come out twenty twenty one. We'll see. I mean, we'll see. I mean, to me, I mean, they've had a lot of bat. They've had a lot of people play Batman. Some have been good. Some of them bad. My attitude is, we'll see. I think Robert could pull it off. I think I. I would hope. I mean. I think Robert's the type of actor that could pull it off because they're going to try and find their own spin on it, which I think will make it work. To me, I the best Batman... The, ori the origin story. I'm really tired of seeing the Waynes shot down in the alley every single time. It's like, okay. I agree. No. I agree. <laughs> i tell you the truth. What, I, what I'd love to see is, is a film... See, here's my thing with DC. DC's route should be, don't take the Marvel route of trying to build a bunch of separate films that are all linked together, leading up to some big climax. Some big climax. Don't go that route. Take your best stories from each of your heroes, 
or a group of your hero or a group of your of your heroes and build one off, build more one-off stories. Make them one-off films. Even though I will say two things I'm two things I can't wait to see. Wonder Woman 1984 cannot wait to see it. The trailer oh, was on so the trailer was on awesome. point. That trailer was so awesome. I cannot wait to see that. I hope that they actually go through and build and and go forward and greenlight Superman Red Sun, which it looks like they're going to. God, I hope What's so. That about? What's that okay, about Super that? Superman Red Sun was a graphic novel that came out in the late came out in like around 2007. And it and it it kind of like it bent the Superman story in this way. What if Superman had land what if what if little baby Kal-El landed 12 hours later? If baby Kal-El lands 12 hours later, he is not a defender of truth, justice in the American way. He is the defender of the workers and the proletariat of the Soviet Union. He lands on a collective farm in the Ukraine instead of Smallville, Kansas. And Red Sun is basically Superman's life. Superman is adopted by Joseph Stalin and basically becomes the guardian of the Soviet Union. Okay. But there's a lot involved with that story. It, it, it's, a, it's a wild, trippy graphic novel, and I think it'll make a beautiful film. And there's a lot of good Lex Luthor in it. You're, you're, um, you're old enough, I think, to remember that Saturday Night Live actually had a, a skit about Uberman. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> I remember the skit. <laughs> I do remember so, it. This is not an original concept to me, but I, th- I do think it's pretty funny. That um, that uh, this would now become it's it's going to be a movie. You're saying? Yes, it will be. And actually, the the graphic novel is beautiful. The great it, it's based on a graphic novel that was done. I mean, to me, two of the best things that that have been done in the DC universe was that graphic novel and another novelization called Batman No Man's Land, which was which was an excellent novel. It's one of my favorite. It's it's in my book collection. I think it would make it would probably make an awesome miniseries or an off or or it would or it would make a very deep dramatic film that play that plays to the bath, Batman mythos and expands upon it. And oh, by the way, huge fan of Batwoman. Yeah, I like the show. I like it a lot. I'm trying to figure out what this big empty office tower with the Wayne Enterprises uh, symbol on it. It's just sort of sitting in the middle of the town and. Nobody seems to notice Gotham's, uh, you know, bat woman flying in and out of it. And he just happened to walk in. And it's a big office. But I mean, that seems a little script. You know, it stretches incredulity a little bit. But I do like the uh, entire um, uh, acting cast. I love the cast. I think it's got an interesting plot line. I like, um, I like the fact. I, one of the things I like, two things. One, the way they portray Gotham, because it's a very different portrayal of Gotham has been has been portrayed as this very it's been portrayed in most films as this very dark place. And here there's some of those elements, i.e., like you say, the like having the Wayne Enterprises building right in the middle of town and people are wondering, why is the Wayne Enterprise? I mean, to me, that pays homage to that that mythos of what Gotham is supposed to be. But also they see it. But they also paint the city as a contemporary city with contemporary problems. I also like the fact that quite fr- I also like the fact that quite frankly the show's queer AF. Yeah. And they aren't no, pulling punches on that. Of, a lot of LGBT characters, yeah. a lot of LGBT as just regular people. They aren't like the gay yeah. friend. They're just 
people who happen to be gay. I love it. I yeah. love it. And also, it's and, set, it's set, the fictional setting for Gotham is Chicago, which is Chris Moser's hometown and where my oldest son goes to college. So that's always yeah. nice to see. And where and where I went to college, Northwestern University. I went to Northwestern. Yeah, the other good school. <laughs> yeah, Northwestern <laughs> Chicago's Big Ten University. That's it for this week. We have one episode left in the transporter room. We're going to go slingshot around the sun next week. We're going to just uh, you know, talk about uh, what our hopes are for 2020. We'd love to hear what your hopes are. You can join us on our Facebook page. Look up The Transporter Room. Or just go to Outsports and send us a message there on Twitter, on Facebook. We love our listeners, and we're so glad yes, you joined we us do. for this episode. Yes, we do. Love you all. And also, while you're at it, take a look at what... Also, I want to ask our listeners, what were your what was your best of 2019? What sure, were the best things you saw? In, yeah, what, what were your best in 2019? Your best in sports, your best in, in sci-fi, your best of yourselves, whatever. I mean, I'm looking forward to that, that show next week because I have a lot of thoughts because this year, even more so, all for for myself personally, so many of so many of my identities intertwined and collided this year. So for me, that I mean, this this year meant a lot. Intersectionality at work, my friend. Couldn't agree more. So off we go. Let's just uh, sail off into the sunset. Second star to the right. See you next week. Or factor nine. Steady as she goes, Mr. Superman.